0: Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the old evil foe, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are on this journey together to study Christian dogmatics, which is simply Christian truth. We're devoted to the belief that when God speaks, he does so in order that we would speak his word back to him. Just as St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for the truth when he says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers who teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, he says, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And that is what we endeavor to to do, my guests this week are Pastor Micah Glenn, Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri, and Pastor Adam DeGroote, Lutheran Church, Missouri, Synod Domestic Missionary. We're picking up in Peepers Dogmatic's Volume One, right around the top middle of page 32. You might remember we left off there, where Doctor Pieper was saying that the Lutheran Church, in its proper sense, if we if we mean what the early Lutherans meant by that word, we don't mean some other church. We mean the one visible holy Catholic and apostolic church on earth. But by that, we don't mean the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We don't mean the Wells. We don't mean the Lutheran Church in Germany. We mean those people who in all times and in all places simply confess and teach what God's word actually says, which therefore all Christians in every time and place should confess and teach. We talked a bit last time about how if you don't believe that about your church, what are you doing there? Why are you at it? If you think your church only has a kernel of the truth and that all the churches have a little kernel of the truth, what is it? That is postmodern thinking is what it is. It's a denial that there is such a thing as truth. It's a denial of the day of Pentecost. It's refusing to believe that God's word is more powerful in pulling us into reconciliation than his curse was in dividing us by cursing our language. And so the Lutheran church, Pieper finally says here, is an ecumenical movement. It is a movement that seeks to to unify Christianity, but we're putting all of our chips on something that we also know is going to divide Christianity from the world. And so, so far as Christianity seeks to be one with the world, it will divide Christianity. The source of all division in Christianity and in the church is the rejection of God's word. We believe though, that is the one thing that can unify the church. So the acceptance of God's word is true. And then with that, the center of that the religion of grace as opposed to the religion of works, the religion of the vicarious atonement of Jesus' satisfactory death on the cross as the heart, soul, and life of that life of the world to come. That is what our ecumenical character is, stands upon, and is founded with, and that is which we we would say is the center of the church. So I have not said hello to my, my brothers in arms here, uh, Micah and, um, and Adam. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you guys, good to hear your voices. So we're going to pick up then where Peter says, on the one hand, the Lutheran Church does not set itself up as the Una Sancta. There's a little Latin there. The one only actual church, as if there are no other Christians outside of those who confess Lutheran faith or attend Lutheran congregations. But acknowledges that there are children of God also in those denominations in which, besides the doctrines of men... Enough gospel is still proclaimed to produce faith in Christ as the only redeemer. So what people called this earlier, the felicitous inconsistency, that there are heterodox, that word means semi-false teaching groups out there, groups with a leavened confession who nonetheless have enough word of God, enough gospel in them that they're still Christian. And so we acknowledge that they are, properly speaking, church in that regard. On the other hand, the Lutheran church, Pieper says, claims to be the church of pure doctrine. That is, it claims that its doctrine agrees in all points with Holy Scripture and should, according to God's will, be believed and accepted by all. You can see, I think, in this why a lot of other Christian groups think we're arrogant and don't like us. But you can also see in it why they should only have the same position themselves and they should consider us very generous that we're not saying they're not Christians.
1: I think, you know, something that Pieper is, is getting to, and especially in these paragraphs, he, he's talking about the sola scriptura. That even even when I think when we might have a, a wrong interpretation of scripture or slightly off interpretation of scripture, we're still right. Because we're saying that scripture is the sole norm for all rule and faith. I mean, the sole norm for uh, and rule and norm for all faith. And and that's kind of the meat of it is that as soon as you abandon what scripture says, you, you've abandoned the one true doctrine of faith
2: yeah i'm 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 with that too i mean in the sense that you know i, th- I think you know as peepers going forward you know he's making the claim in making the claim he's actually presuppose or supposing that that we as as lutherans understand the scripture and and i and i think even that is a pretty haughty claim in and of itself <laughs> um to to say well we 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 can assess and know that these people are true christians and we know how we know how they are Christians, uh, not according to the uh, the hymn by their love, but we know their scriptures or whether they're Christians rather by virtue of the fact that what they believe agrees with the Holy Scriptures.
0: But as, as you both have said though, this requires that the Lutheran Church itself, insofar as we understand the word, would be one which knows, believes, understands, communicates, confesses the scriptures. And maybe part of our struggle with this kind of language today is the fact that Lutheran is a word that gets put on a lot of buildings in the world that may or may not have any connection to Scripture at all.
1: Well, ultimately, I think it comes down to the teacher. So, if you if you look at the beginnings of other denominations uh, across the world, and, and uh, compared against the teachings of the Lutheran Church, it was the, the soundness of the teachers that formed those different denominations, and then that tradition of formation has been passed down, and so we, we take our formation and we take our teaching very seriously. And, I mean, even in the formation process of becoming a pastor, there's always a moment where you have to be humbled and you have to accept the fact that the men that are teaching you, A, know much more than you, but they know much more than you because they've been studying it longer. And it's been passed down by somebody who knew more than they did at one point in their lives. And that's (laughs) important.
2: With that, too, Mike, I remember uh, Professor Larry Rast, now President Larry Rast, had said something very similar, is that you can know— you could you could know the heretics of the church by by who taught them, but you could also know uh, the true pastors of the church by who taught them as well. And and you sort of you end up seeing, as you look back over the history of the Christian Church, you can follow sort of a succession of true teaching, um, you know, that basically goes back to the to the apostles. Uh, and I think that's what people are saying here is that our our teaching is apostolic, in the sense that it agrees with the very earliest teachings of the Christian Church. And that's, that, that's not to say—I uh, mean, guess that's the best way to say it for now, For now, because my, my mind is all wrapped up in in, in, in knots, so I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> well, what, what it leaves me with is it, it really becomes lunacy to want to be the Lutheran Church without Scripture at this point. It, right. It is insane to try to hold to some semblance of we're the Lutheran Church— Without this idea, because, well, a, it's our foundation historically. But then, you, if you remove scripture alone, then what are you? People who follow some German guy who was boisterous, farted a lot, drank a lot, and then eventually wrote some rude things about the Jews. Oof. I mean, it, it's it. What, what, what are you doing? And so, I think, as audacious as Peepers' claim here is. I think it's something that needs to call us to repentance every time we read it. That, that to be the Lutheran church means to claim to be the church of pure doctrine, means to be the claim to be the church of the Holy Scriptures, which always begins then, not by running around waving a Bible in the air, but by daily and weekly returning to the Scriptures in kind of a humiliated acknowledgement that I still have more to learn, that I probably am wrong, that I need to be corrected, that I need to be repent and, and be absolved.
1: Well, you know, ultimately— I've always found that, especially as a young pastor, now that I've been doing this for almost one year, right, that that's a, a beautiful place to be in. And and that I think that's ultimately uh, what makes Lutheran theology so beautiful, is that at moments with difficult questions put before me that somebody in my congregation is asking me, right, I can say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can say it confidently. Because at the end of the day, I don't need to know all the answers because the the the, the important answer and the, and the purpose and, and the framework for any religion is, right, answering that difficult question of how do we conquer death, how do we earn salvation, or how is salvation awarded to us, is that it's not determined by my right answers. I mean, ultimately, it's determined by our pure doctrine because our doctrine says it's because of Jesus.
0: That That brings me to a conversation I had with some of my kids about a week and a half ago in dinner. They were asking me— they, they were afraid of Judgment Day. I don't know what made them think about Judgment Day, whether something their mother was teaching them, something from church. But they, they were asking me, if, when I get to Judgment Day, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> How do I know that I'm going to give the right answer? And I spent probably more time than I needed to, but but trying to convince them there won't be a question you're just going to be declared to be in Jesus it'll be the difference between a sheep and a goat it'll be so obvious but that's not the way the human mind works or no. thinks right we don't we, this gets back to this is about works versus grace what question am i supposed to answer right on judgment day is Jesus your savior yes you just made it a work
1: yep <laughs> right
2: <laughs> well I, but I, that's the beauty i think of 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 the historic liturgy is that you know each divine service is you know so to speak a, a dress rehearsal uh, for what Judgment Day uh, looks like. I mean, you know, I, I come before God, uh, uh, I will come before God that day, the same way that I go before God this very, you know, tomorrow tomorrow evening for divine service and, and, and Sunday morning for divine service. I, I come with nothing. I come as a beggar. And and and, and, and 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 God knows this already of me, and yet I simply acknowledge that, which, you know, is consistent with what the doctrine and the teaching of the Church is, See. but also...
0: Go ahead. I'm going to jump in because it's just so beautiful how you just described that. And you think about it. It's, it's something that's fallen out of practice a lot of places. But when you go into the church, you do come as a beggar. You, you come bringing nothing. And yet there's this old habit of making the sign of the cross, which is effectively a declaration that you deserve to be there. I deserve right. to be here because you've already baptized me. Not I'm coming only with what you've already given me, right? That's the most <laughs> I bring. And then I sit down silent and the pastor comes and speaks, uh, you know, confess your sins. Uh, it's, yeah. uh, it all oh man, what a, what a great image though for Judgment Day too, right? I come with nothing but the cross of Jesus.
2: Well, and I remember that. I had a guy that came in. he was a, a heroin addict and and you know the, that's the first thing that that has to be said is that you know he's he's rightly seeing a pastor in in a position of of authority. and that's that's wonderful. But yet to be able to say to this man who literally has nothing that that you know in terms of of, of you know who I am, quorum Deo, is the same as as he is and that we go before god together uh deserving nothing but receiving everything
1: and i mean in, in practicality now uh and adam I, I hope you can co-sign on this is as is, is, is we move as missionaries in america uh to the forgotten corners of the world and, and you know in ferguson there are some churches uh, but no lutheran church and so I mean, I'll assume with people that what they're teaching is a a work-based salvation, that when I come in now and I encounter those people and I say, no, this is how your salvation has been earned. And it was earned millennia ago through the works of Jesus. And when they hear those words and you have people who have been working, right, two or three jobs to make ends meet, who have been told that they're the worst people and most dangerous people on the earth and that they're kind of scum. And you come in and say, by the merit of somebody else, you're not, you're not scum, but you're even more than that. You are a co-inheritor with Christ to the kingdom of God. You yourself are made a prince of heaven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is powerful. Our doctrine right now, for the context of America, is is the well of life giving water, and people love it.
2: I I, I absolutely co-sign with that. And, you know, you know, in, in our neighborhood, you got you know guys that you know. What I think is so interesting is that you know, um, there were guys that would come in, and and you know, I always think about this in terms of you know nicknames. You know, nobody ever gives themselves their own nickname Um, nicknames are always granted to you you know so it'd be silly for me to walk into this radio interview and say hey guys they call me speedy and then you guys (laughs) say who who calls (laughs) you speedy you know and then i say well i call myself speedy i've declared myself i've made a name for myself i call me speedy so should you as opposed to if the neighborhood calls me speedy um you know, and that's the beauty that you, uh, you begin, then begin to understand is that someone else has, in the context of the church, someone else has given me a name. Someone has called me righteous, forgiven, blessed, holy, wonderful, loved, etc., so on. And this has been done by virtue of the work that we know needs to be done, but has already been done for us. And a name and a righteousness has been given to us. And then we can speak with confidence in the same way that we would. In, in many worldly contexts, but in so many ways, just, it does, well, that's what really is strange to me is that that sort of mentality, which which works out in so many ways in the world, um, somehow, you know, we swing and miss w- in, in the Christian church and, and, you know, it's uh, long history of, of bad teaching um, and, and, and misguided uh, understandings.
0: That brings us to a point that people had made a couple weeks ago now, but it was like this point of surprise like, look, you can line up all the religions of the world and you see that they all teach works, and then you got this one religion alone that teaches grace alone, you would think then that everyone who's in that one religion would believe that. And yet, yet you find this massive discrepancy in which there's a, a horde of broken denominations that teach works, and very few that even claim to teach grace, and amongst those few that claim to teach grace, very few that teach where you can find that grace and it remains grace alone and he claims then that that's what what lutheranism wants to or claims to be no matter what you call it it's what he says scripture teaches but he says then and this brings us back to you know how do you know where to find it this next sentence in his in his paragraph on page 32 i've highlighted all by itself because it's just so good there's there's no proof for this other than to go back to scripture and test everything you ever say the proof for this ecumenical character of the Lutheran Church, of course, must and can be furnished by way of induction by submitting every one of its doctrines to the test of Scripture, which is what he has just what he has just done. Is he set up his entire three-volume series? He's basically said, "Now look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take everything that that Lutheranism, if I can call it an ism, officially stands for, and we are going to submit it to the test of Scripture. And if you can't do this." with what you claim to be teaching in the name of God, you're breaking the second commandment in the worst possible way. If you think you're so certain in what you believe that it doesn't need to be tested by scripture anymore, you've, you've gone the way of unbelief entirely. The reason we can speak so boldly about the gospel as three pastors here is because we we think we've done this, right? We've, we've gone through this process. We've We've tested our minds according to the mind of Christ. And yet the result also, I think, of, of real faith is that I'll willingly submit myself to that test again. You can't scare me by saying, "Let's go look at the Bible and see if what it says is what you think it says." I'm like, "Yeah, fine." Because if I'm wrong, fine, good. Then I'm then I'm going to be right after that, right? right? But the world right. of works can't do that because it has to defend its self justification. Grace again becomes the only way to walk this road.
2: Right, and I, Mike, I think it goes back to what you were talking about: is that you know, um, you know, in for varying reasons. I mean, we we may have to say we don't know. Um, most assuredly, it's 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 maybe not because we we really don't and haven't studied it. It's let less, less the case, but you know, it, you know, being able to say I want to be able to be confident and sure that we are going forward into whatever the question is or whatever the circumstance is with the certainty and the backing of Almighty God. Because we're, let's face it, we're not Doctor Phil. We are Pastor So and So. We're Pastor Fisk. We're Pastor Glenn. We're Pastor Gro. And we're here to be the very dispensers of the gift the gifts and the grace of God through the very simple means of the scripture and the means of grace and baptism in the Lord's Supper.
1: Well, I mean, and, and that's and that's ultimately you know what Pieper is calling, and again, I, I think more than not, he's taking shots of at the teachers of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and so following in suit, you know, when I was teaching confirmation or catechesis on my vicarage, you know, we, we would begin with prayer and induction, I mean, in the invocation and things like that. And then I would always repeat the same question. What is the centerpiece of the Christian life? And it got to the point where all of my students would say, in accord, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh and it, and and that's what we teach, not purely in our, our doctrine, but it's also in our actions through the sacraments. Because, I mean, that's ultimately what makes baptism efficient, being baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what makes the Lord's Supper efficient, uh, because it is receiving the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: that's what it makes it faith alone as opposed to a work, is because all I'm believing— is that it's putting me into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And, then,
1: and yeah. that, that yeah. is sufficient Yeah, only by itself. And uh, it, which is one of those frustrating things because it's so simple. It's so pure. We confess it. You confess it through the creeds, whether you be, you're you a creedal denomination or not. I mean, there's no such thing as a non-credal denomination because if you reject the ecumenical creeds, that's your creed, right? I don't Everybody. have a creed. Yeah. Is a creed. And, and so, you know, to reject baptism as sufficient, that it actually does do something you talk to somebody like that it's like not only are you not listening to what the words of jesus say mm. for you but now you you're going off and you're teaching people that that the places where jesus promises to be and promises to forgive sins and therefore promises to give eternal salvation it's like you you know you're denying them in peace and, and and people are saying you know they receive the gospel through the Word of God and, and through its quasi-preaching in these churches. But, you know, you're denying people grace upon grace. Mm-hmm. And it is it's just so sad to watch because you see people in those denominations and they've been taught that for their entire lives. So teaching them something new is, is of course, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing. And it's like, you know, you could be so much more free if you just let go of what you think is necessary. It's just hard to watch.
2: Well, and yet, and yet it's it's infinitely—the uh, you know, the word that's coming to my mind is it's, it's organic, because even even we within the Missouri Synod, you know, how often have we seen individuals that, you know, when, you know, uh, times get tough or, or circumstances are difficult or, or their prayers aren't being answered, you know, being able to understand that it's as much our doctrine to continue to provide um, consistent teaching and preaching in the midst of these things— and, and that in and of itself provides the great confidence that the word is true and, and is being given to us now. Because I think that's the thing is that, you know, to say, you know, that, that others are, are unbelievers, you know, um, you know, there's a huge log in our own eye is to say, well, I, I, and, and not to make, you know, faith a work on and of ourselves. I wake up each morning um, clothed in my flesh still uh which i think luther reminds us that is that you know that's the greatest reminder that you know am i still sinful (laughs) well yes i I am absolutely i am And, and we begin each day very simply as the catechism tells us in remembering what not how good we are and not what we did yesterday or what we're going to do today but we remember simply the identity that's been given to us by god in holy baptism a name an inheritance promises which are being fulfilled that then are able to be given freely to those which we meet, and it's it's unassuming, it doesn't it doesn't measure quantifiably in terms of the world, um, but yet gives us a great certainty and a hope um, in this in this in this side of heaven, in in understanding that these these words and promises are true for us even
0: today. Do you got a pulse? Well, then believe what Scripture says about that pulse, that it beats with the blood of Adam. That means it's blood with death in it, blood that's going to see you in a grave someday. And many of the churches of the world, whether they have Christian, Lutheran, or anything else on the name outside, they forget to teach that part. And so they teach you that faith is a matter of overcoming That prayer is something that makes this life better. That that if you just try hard enough to believe, the evil that you see will eventually go away. And yet forgetting that when you want to do good, evil sits, lies, rests, sleeps right there with you at all times. That that darkness is deep within your mind, your heart, your soul, even your, your very will. Your will is the problem. Forgetting that, the comfort of the gospel is lost. The freedom, which was just mentioned, to know that I stand not on my own foundation, but on the foundation of another who is a greater man with a new blood that's got life in it, that's been given not just to one person, but to the whole world, to all the cosmos. It is trust in that one man, Jesus Christ, which alone makes the Lutheran Church to be the Lutheran Church. And the day that we have some other hope is the day that we do not stand worthy of the name you listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, talking with Pastor Micah Glenn and Pastor Adam DeGroote about the dogma of grace alone. Such good news. More on the other side of this break. Stick around.
1: Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline.
2: This week on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller answer the question, What should I pray for? We'll discuss the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ with Dr. Carl Kencher and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school
0: lesson on Jesus appearing in Galilee. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO.
1: I accept the honor which the American
0: people have conferred upon me.
1: Today marks the birth of the 33rd President of the United States, Harry S. Truman. He never went to college, but was educated not only in history, but in a thorough knowledge of the Bible.
0: With the sudden death of President Franklin Roosevelt, on April 12, 1945, a little-known vice president became President of the United States in what would be the final year of World War II. On April 16,
1: 1945, President Harry Truman addressed a joint session of Congress. Using words from 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he said, As I have assumed my heavy duties, I humbly pray, Almighty God, in the words of King Solomon, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people?
0: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Right now, you can double the impact of your giving to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They got their dollar-for-dollar match. It's back. A fantastic opportunity to help new Christians, new Lutherans in places like Slovakia, Mongolia, and Japan have at their fingertips fantastic biblical resources like the Small Catechism, a children's garden of Bible stories, and Good News magazine. Did you know that the cost to translate and print one small catechism in a foreign language is only $5? Now imagine just how far that $5 goes as a tool put into the hands of a faithful pastor to help his people learn the language of the Bible, the importance of confessing the same faith once for all delivered to the saints, and of course that proper distinction between law and gospel, that the gospel is that Jesus wants you to be his own and live under him in his kingdom, which is of course why he shed his precious blood for you. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is working in over 105 languages with over 840 titles published in 95 of those languages. I'm not kidding when I say they're doing phenomenal work all around the globe and they are certainly worth contacting and supporting with your mission giving. You can learn more about the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Come on, just go ahead right now. Head over, give them five bucks. That'll get two catechisms translated and printed. Totally worth your time. Welcome back to Cross Defense your weekly dose of worldview demolition. We want to tear down the falsehood, the darkness, the house built on sand, build up a mighty fortress on the rock of our Lord's word, on the name, even the blood, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Letting Dr. Francis Pieper, faithful confessor of old, be our guide, leaving us off a few moments ago with the reality that all that we say, even with the name Lutheran on the books and on the buildings, needs to continue to be tested and brought underneath declarations of Holy Scripture. And then he leads into this quote from Dr. Luther, fairly famous quote, really, uh, from his confession of faith in 1529. This is right before he dies. And he's being asked, you know, more or less, you know, Dr. Luther, you know, what if someone comes after you die and they say, if only you had studied a little more, you would have changed your mind. What do you have to say to that? And this is effectively what the quote is, is a response to that. He says, if after my death, anyone should say, If Dr. Luther were living now, he would hold this or that article differently, for he did not sufficiently consider it. Against this, I say now as then and then as now that, by God's grace, I have most diligently compared all these articles with the scriptures time and again and often gone over them and would defend them as confidently as I have now defended the sacrament of the altar." And that's the end of the quote. It was on that issue of the sacrament of the altar that it was believed there would be those who would say, Luther didn't go far enough, and if he'd been alive today, he would go further. The irony of history is that has actually happened. There are those amongst uh, the Calvinist persuasion in history that made that claim about him, and here he is saying, look, no, no, I have tested it against scripture. That's what I want to continue to do is test it against scripture. And maybe then a little unknown thing about Luther, people often think, you know, he was boisterous, he was loud, he was confident. The guy regularly questioned I just split the church. I better be right about this, right? I better go back and study scripture again. But then the thing was, like you were talking earlier about you know, baptism, when he goes back and he says, well, maybe the Baptists are right, and he looks at scripture, no, it says baptism saves. It says it kills and raises you. What am I going to do? i got to trust what it says. Uh, I don't know where you guys want to go with this quote, if you want to riff on it at all, but I, I find it a powerful and striking thing.
1: Well, I think people, I mean, he's really setting up for where he goes next and, and you know not to jump ahead but like you know he takes a, a kind of a takes a shot at a well known uh church father by the name of augustine mm-hmm. and, and i think if if people are here to speak for himself he would be he, he would also say take a shot at me take a, a shot at uh, adam de take a shot at fist take a shot at micah take a shot at matt harrison take a shot at whoever uh is speaking on behalf of god at any time because i mean anything that i say as luther is saying in this quote has to be tested time and time again because at at the end of the day um the the doctrine doesn't stand because because of the confessions themselves they stand because of what they're put on top of Mm -hmm. and and that stands forever and that is strong and that can't be broken and and so if you build on that foundation is as you know, we would say then it then it will stand for all time, even against tests that need to happen on a daily basis. This I mean I mean and this is the a doctrine that we we teach. I mean I tell people all the time, uh it's good that we come in Sunday morning confessing our sins. It, it has to happen. But I would encourage you to do this daily. Mm. Um and I, I tell my people all the time, every single day, uh you you gotta begin with confessing your sins because because of what's behind it and his forgiveness every single I time think,
2: yeah and it might Mike I, I mean I, I like what you're saying and even too, I mean going with what Luther's saying here it, you know it's not about Pastor DeGroat or Pastor Glenn or Pastor Fisk or, or Dr. Luther and I think that's essentially what he's saying here is that you you will see that that my teaching is in accordance with that of the Holy Scriptures. And 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 by virtue of that, what you end up with is is the true timelessness of the actual Word of God. Because Pastor Glenn is preaching the very same things that Peter and Paul taught. And Pastor Fiscus is, is is teaching the very same things that 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 our fathers before us did. And what we end up seeing is that there's this consistency uh, that goes that goes as far back as as can be remembered and will continue until the eschaton and in and 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 by these things knowing that we have a a a true hold on on the actual scriptures themselves
0: now as a way to prove or to show like look i just got to give you an example of where we cling to scripture that we think that other people don't necessarily cling to scripture there's a number of places he could go he could avoid the, the most embarrassing one, but he doesn't. He, go, he goes straight for the most embarrassing one, which not, nonetheless happens to be, I mean, if you're going to have a doctrine that only Lutherans teach, this is it. Single predestination. And, and he calls it this uh, classic name for it, the crux telegorum. I'll let him go ahead and say it first, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. He says, we should here like to call attention to the fact that the Lutheran Church has proved its unwavering adherence to the scripture alone in a matter in which the great majority of theologians from Augustine down to our day have, under the stress of rationalistic considerations, abandoned the scriptural principle. We refer to what is known as the crux theologorum. The question, are you willing to maintain both universal grace and grace alone? That question forces you to disclose whether scripture or reason rules your theology. So, just to review, we've, we've talked about this here. Universal grace, Jesus died for all people. Grace alone, God is the sole author of salvation. On the one side, you have the free will teachers, whether it's the Roman Catholics or the Baptists, who teach that, yes, universal grace, Jesus died for all people, but ultimately you got to decide, you got to add your will to that somehow the other side you have the calvinists who teach that yes grace alone god is the sole author in salvation and therefore jesus did not die for all and so you you have to deny one piece or the other and we maintain and and it's embarrassing in the sense that it doesn't make any sense but scripture speaks in both ways so very clearly if you want to have all the bible passages you end up in a place where you got to say both things are true and people ask that question well how can this be and as micah said earlier our only answer is I don't know, but Scripture says it, and thus, as a test now, you know, are you willing to let— it, In some ways, I think this is exactly the point of God giving us this confusing two truths don't line up, is to force us to be at the point where I admit, my brain has to die here now. Reason no longer gets to be my God. Instead, my God has to be the God who speaks, and I must trust what he says alone. And then the beauty of the other side of this thing is that it, the grace alone and the universal grace is the gospel— so when, I, you, when you deny either one, you deny the gospel. I, I'll let you guys have a hack at it. Well,
2: I think, I, I, you know, I, I think of my adult confirmation verse in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I think that how Paul ends that is, is so beautiful because he's saying, for by, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. And then this part is the one that just kind of personally you know, uh, puts me in my place so that no one may boast. It's, it's not the fact that I can articulate this. It's not the fact that, that I even understand this. These are the things of God which are far beyond my understanding and my reason. And thanks be to God that they are, because nowhere in Scripture does it say that our reason saves us, but in every part of Scripture it says that Christ saves us, and this doesn't make sense in, in any way, shape, or form.
1: Well, and I think it really gets to the meat of the of the problem and the challenge is is it is this is that um, you you know everywhere we turn and, and for all time, uh, it's easy to see kind of that humans are at the top of whatever food chain exists, and so if we go with Lutheran theology, with the uh, it works because God says it works and it's beyond me, it's contrary to wh- what I want to be and what I want to do. It 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 forces you. Um, to relinquish a lot of control which once (laughs) once you once you once you're in it and you buy into it then it's it's like okay i've i've let go of all control only to gain all control in a kind of a christ-centered sense but you know if i can say jesus died for my sins uh, but i have to do this because it, it, it it feeds the the weakness of the human flesh and human spirit in that i still have some say i still get to get my hands dirty and me getting my hands dirty actually matters for me and and so that's and that's i i think ultimately that's why um lutheran theology even though it is so simple and so plain and it works so well with how the world is feeding us bullcrap all the time and yet we we can't let go of it because of that that just letting go even i i i dare to quote let go and let god that's such a stupid quote well it gets misused and and changed but
0: you know adam um not the one that we're talking to on on the phone line right here but the old adam within us he's always trying to keep his toe in the door a little bit and and this is one of the ways he does it is by keeping reason afloat in your theology, and it's not that there's no place for reason in our theology. Reason is a servant, which God created for us to have understanding. The problem is when we start to have reason become the master of our theology, that reason becomes the teacher rather than the servant. That's the danger in all of this. And as Luther then said, I think at one point, if you let Adam have a finger, you let him keep his finger in that door, soon he's taken your entire arm. And that gets us back to where we were before. Now, you have troubled consciences seeking peace on the street, in the day-to-day Darkness of life, and there is no gospel to be found. There is no comfort to be found because they're being told one or the other way. Um, it's up to you to save yourself. I'm going to go ahead and read this next section as well, which we, we've kind of gone over this, but the Calvinists cannot pass this final examination that is of telling whether or not your, your your theology is based on Scripture alone, because they insist, as we have seen, that if the grace alone is to be saved, the universal grace must be sacrificed. And the synergists, too, synergists, mean a word meaning to work together with, so any teaching which would base your salvation a little bit on works officially, uh, fail this in the final test. They demand that in order to have the universal grace, the grace alone must be surrendered. Both, says reason, cannot be maintained at the same time. The Lutheran Church is fully conscious of the difficulty which the human mind encounters here. It's not like we don't realize what how insane it is to try to say both these things, but nonetheless, our churches maintain both the grace alone and the universal grace fully and without any restrictions because both doctrines are clearly revealed in Scripture. It leaves the intellectual difficulty unsolved for the present. It awaits the solution in yonder life. I don't know. Jesus is enough. This ultimately, though, why is people bringing this up, not just for the theology itself, but to point out that this is where we claim to be the church that teaches Scripture alone, that we come to this point at which what Scripture alone says actually doesn't jive with knowledge it doesn't fit and yet we're not going to change it
1: well because jesus redefines everything i mean including human logic uh i mean just just his very existence is is not logical i mean god becoming a human in order to die for the it's backwards yeah it's, it's absolutely backwards but in that in the but it is true and it and then that redefining of everything um you know it then redefines how you look at the world and, and if people understood that if Calvin un- had understood that and all the other denominations in a way that Lutheran dogma understands it is that again we would never say that you shouldn't do good works and we we've talked about this um, on the show before but but they look different now uh, because of what what people again what people is getting at is we're talking about salvation here and how that is awarded and now that my salvation is free I can, and I don't have to master that. I can now, though, and I'm free to master everything beneath me. And that's including everything from what I put on today to what I'm going to do when I leave here.
0: Duty takes on an entirely different meaning. Absolutely. Yeah. Adam?
2: Yeah. No, I just, I was thinking about it in, in terms of, you know, gosh, here we are, you know, Lent, coming up on Lent five or Lent six pretty quick. And, and I think we we've got a pretty good example coming up next week as to what happens when, you know reason and the truth uh, meet. Uh, in the end, uh, what the world does is 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 puts the truth to death. And, and yet, through that, uh, death and life contending, and we know the end of the story and, and 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 truth wins, life wins, and thanks be to God that it does. But you're absolutely right, is that, you know our reason, is not given to understand what happened, why it happened, uh, and yet understand, you know, being able to be brought squarely to to the open tomb on, on, on that Easter Sunday and realizing that our Lord has triumphed over these things. Our Lord, who is the very divine Logos, the Scripture itself. Is the one who has triumphed over these things and and that's why we believe the scriptures because we believe it is actually Jesus coming to us and bringing truth to light in a world that is I guess according to its own definition and its own nickname reasonable and rational but the reality is is that uh, it's it's it can't understand grasp or fathom the, the very wonderful gifts of, of Almighty God that are given to us as, as Peter says it's given to us by grace. it's not it's not something that we earn. It wouldn't be grace if we earned it and, and not only that, but it's given and shed for everyone for their, their the forgiveness of their sins, thereby bringing in that universal grace as well. and absolutely we would agree with these things simply because that's what the Lord says. that's what he has given us to to believe.
0: Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it was a nice little pickup there on the nickname from earlier that the world itself says, hey, man, my nickname's Reason. And like at the end of the day, no, your nickname is Insanity is what you actually are, right? right? Because truth came and you put truth to death. You nailed him to a tree. But truth... Truth won't stay dead no matter what you do. And so the logos, which is a word, again, that means kind of reason, right? The ultimate idea, the ultimate mind. He rose again on the third day. And uh, what a what a wonderful huh, story that is. I'm going to keep us moving forward, though, here a little bit because we've got enough time. I think we can pick up some of this next section where now Peeper's basically. says, "Look, So I just made my point, which is this. The divisions and factions of the Christian church are the result of a departure from scripture doctrine. That's it. I mean, that's all he's been doing so far. Is basically saying, where we disagree is because Scripture says one thing and some of us say something different, and the only way to undo that is to go back to Scripture again and keep studying it until we all agree with what it says. But then he says, modern theologians, and he does have certain individuals and groups in American theology in mind, but you can really hear this as anybody who's departing from Scripture. Modern theologians of all shades not only assume a number of noble motives, such as the quest for truth, the scientific spirit, for the deviation from the scripture doctrine and the incident formation of sex, but even assert that these divergent trends have been designed by God and are beneficial to the church. Now, he used some kind of big language there, but effectively what he's saying is that those who come to you to teach that scripture alone can't be trusted say, well, there's a good reason for this. It's actually God's will that we don't believe what the scripture says. And whether they base that on he's making us find our way into truth or whether they're basing that on that the the spirit of science must come into harmony with Christianity. Ultimately, they're trying to say that God wants us to not trust him. His word is somehow an error and he wants us to figure that out on our own. And isn't it funny? Did God really say, because in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God's. God wants you to figure out you're supposed to eat this fruit on your own because that was the plan all along.
1: Well, my my favorite thing about this argument is is it's usually based in modern times that, well, now we're smarter. We have have more technology. We've come such a long way. We know what they didn't know back then. And yet as we look at how they lived uh, in ancient times, we have no idea how they did it. But we're supposed to be more intelligent. We have no clue how they built the pyramids, none whatsoever. We make up false narratives for how they did it, but we actually Aliens. have no clue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, was going to avoid <laughs> saying that, but we actually have no clue. And in fact, in order to define how they lived back, then we have to make up just ludicrous mm-hmm. assumptions. It's mm-hmm. just mind boggling. I I mean, but anyway, here we are.
2: <laughs> no, and you're right, Micah, because I I, I mean, it would be easy if, if it was presented in the world as Peeper presents it. I've never heard anybody say, these divergent trends have been designed by, because, okay, you're assuming something is one, um, you know, and saying that God is, God is the author of imperfection. (laughs) Um, okay. Now the, your, your premise is false from the very beginning. God, God could not possibly be the author of untruth any more than he could be the author of sin. Uh, he does not, he does not create these things yet. Uh, maybe it would be safer you know in these particular these particular instances to say god is permissive and he allows for these divergences to to happen uh and and his will is going to be done in the midst of them but no certainly not god does not author untruth, imperfection, or unholiness in any way, shape, or form.
0: This is the all-paths-lead-to-God argument, though. I mean, I, you say you haven't heard it, and I guess not in in the same language people use this, but I have heard it said by liberal Christians, I've heard it said by New Age or Far Eastern thinkers that all of it is a grand design of diversity, that he just wants us each to find our own path to finding him, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. If you can just get your head out of your closed-minded, white male Christianity, you know, that then you'll be able to to really see how this is just about God's will for each of us to have our own identity. And right. it sounds really fuzzy and warm and gentle when Oprah says it. Like that she I'm not quoting Oprah directly, but she's she says similar things. But at the end of the day it's it's as unholy as you just said, Adam. It is effectively denying That there is such a thing as truth that there is such a thing as god it's not any wonder then that many who go that route will ultimately say well i am god we are god we're all god god is everything right because they have to deny a personal god who who speaks and has reality that doesn't change
2: well but that's uh, but that premise i think is it's you know absolutely i agree with you, you i have heard that but in the end when when we as human beings are creating god in our own image i think the ultimate question that i'm left with is Is one is that even a god I would like to worship? Because in the end, (laughs) what I'm basically saying is I want to worship myself, which is a (laughs) fundamental—it's idolatry. And and you know we're we're then left you know ultimately to this place where we're basically saying everybody makes their own way. Uh, And and in the end, um, my my question then is, well, where is there any unity in that? Where is there any opportunity to, to exercise the very love and charity and hope and, and, and that, 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 you, that these individuals are, are wanting to, to put forward? Because they're presenting an idea of utopia. If only you would bend to my ideas as to how things should be, which, by the way, will change dependent upon my circumstances, as opposed to how, what Scripture presents to us, an objective God, Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, and 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 in reality to the world, seems like a very rigid God, that rigidity helps us to understand, in much the same way as the three uses of the law do, who I am, where I stand, my status before this God, and then ultimately sets us up to be able to understand, what this God has done for us and who I am now because he has done these things. And you know, it's, 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 I should, I want to say it's comical, but but it's not, it's, it's terribly depressing and yes, it does sound flowery, but so did the words of the devil as he spoke them to Eve.
1: Well, it ultimately leads to leads to the irony of the situation. And, And that's this is that the all paths lead to God. Um, mentality would say just use your logic and whatever your logic informs you of that's the path god wants you to take but as you look at the paths the different paths and you use the human logic that whichever deity we're talking about has given you human logic would tell you that those different paths are mutually exclusive they they never yeah. overlap and they don't actually lead to the same god in the same way and so even logically it breaks down on itself and so it's just one of these w- weird things it's like okay you, you said logic in in human reason is the height of all of this and yet it your argument logically collapses on itself it's stupid and
2: not only that but sets up you know it, it, in terms of orientation if we're saying all paths lead to god we're assuming we determine those paths to arrive at a point where God then will be merciful to us, dependent upon us. The scriptures say something different. God has built the path. God has built the bridge. God has transcended sin. God has done these particular things. He has condescended. He has come to us. And he is the one who has established the singular path from him to us through the blood and death and resurrection. And I think that's, you know, that's it's it, where you see that's a the fundamental argument of, of of not just reason, but but also of what Luther talks about is that we we know the law, we know our own works the best, and it, it's what makes the most amount of sense. But that way of thinking ultimately cuts God out of the picture altogether, the very God who says, "I come to you."
0: My guest, Pastor Adam DeGroot. Domestic missionary for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and with him, Pastor Micah Glenn, Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri. Gentlemen, thank you for being with me today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, listener-supported messenger of good news, and we certainly do hope that you heard that good news in this last hour. Cross-defense is listener-supported. That means we rely on your giving to KFUO to keep cross-defense on the air and coming to you via the internet as well. If you haven't yet become an annual contributor to KFUO Radio, please consider doing so, and then let them know that your reason is your hunger for a little more cross-defense. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The lie of multiculturalism is not the idea that there are some good things to be found in many cultures. It's the idea, the lie, that no culture has anything bad to be found in it, that there are no false paths, that there's no accidents that actually lead to destruction. So the hope of truth, the hope of Christianity, the hope of reconciliation, the hope of peace, comes with a wall that it builds against lies. It must say... That within every culture that the world knows, within every city, community, world, people, language, and all the way down to person, heart, and will, there is a division caused by the destructive falsehoods of idolatry, of wanting to be God. Where a bunch of millions of us, little, little gods, little wannabe gods running around on this world. And what has it brought us? We say reason, but it's brought us insanity. We say peace but has brought us war. We say, go, be well, be fed. And what do we have? Each man seeking himself and nothing but himself, even into his very grave. And yet here comes the truth, the way, the life. Jesus himself, a totally different man. We kill him for it. And he says, yep, that's why I'm here, to make you different too. But here's the catch. There is no multi-culture here. There is universal There is one, there is singular way, truth, and life. I'm it. Hey, but it's a free gift and it's yours. And what the spirit does is he wakes you up and you believe it. There will be those who don't, but you're listening because you do. Take no shame in that. Be confident. No, founded on scripture, founded on the word of God, house built on the rock. The storms may come and blow, but no matter what the storm does, you are going to stand. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Until next time, rock on.